one model I like a lot, if, if you're looking at opening markets, if you do have one central global resource who can be a, a partner backstopper globally, I think that works well because that can take a lot of the overhead type actions can be done centrally while the, the country manager or person out in the field then is only doing you know, the part that really needs to be done by them. Welcome you back on International Corner, the podcast that helps you open and thrive in foreign markets. This is Steve here speaking, and today's episode will be about partnerships. We all know by now, going international is not a one-person's job, right? And finding the right alliances can unlock doors to massive success abroad. But, 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 because there's a but... Unfortunately, we don't all have the luxury to have an army of partner managers, especially at start. And when you launch a new market, it could be quite hard to find the right partners and make them understand what we can bring to the table, especially when we are nobody there. Well, fear not, my dear listeners, because Paul Goslin, with his 13 years working on building partnerships and alliance programs in different countries, with companies of all sizes, is about to shed some light on how to leverage the ecosystem of bigger companies when you're small. Let's crack on. Well, hi, Paul. Thank you very much for joining us in International Corner. How are you doing? I'm excellent today, Tiffany. Thank you very much for having me. How are you today? Yeah, I'm great as well. Thanks. And I'm very exciting for our upcoming conversation. But perhaps before digging into today's matter, can you introduce yourself to the audience, your background and your role today? I'd be very happy to. Thanks. So my name is Paul Gosselin. Uh, I'm American. You're probably tall from my accent. I've been in Europe for about 30 years now. During that time, first half of it, I mostly worked for American companies who were looking to land and expand around Europe. And then the second half of that, I've worked for different projects and different companies in France, helping them expand globally. Currently, I'm working for a startup out of Bordeaux called Octopia. We're actually a spin out of a larger company called C-Discount, which is pretty well known in France. And we're in the e-commerce market space. And my role is international sales development. And I'm running a number of programs to help us enter different markets abroad. Fantastic. And I think that's also what we discussed um, prior to recording this episode, but you also have a wide experience on partnerships, right? But for bigger company? Yeah, absolutely. So in, in all the years I've, I've been working here, I've always had roles um, around alliance sales, around alliance management. I've been the global alliance uh, director. I've been, uh, you know, global alliance managers. I've run different partner programs. I've always done that in, you know, in the optic of helping to expand companies' businesses in foreign markets through partnerships. And that's always been my, the focus of what I've been doing. Sometimes I've had a role where I've been focused on the, the actual sales result and in charge of the overall sales result and used partnerships as one of the attributes that we have. That's sort of the case now. Other times I've had a role where I've been running partnerships 
while or sorry in the benefit of the different sales groups we have and the different uh, different sales organizations and i've worked in companies that have been all different sizes within partnerships so everything from you know real small startups to startups like octopia where I, where i am now which is a startup but also a spin out and has some people to start with up to medium sized companies i worked for a french company in the networking space which was medium sized a few hundred people when i joined and over the time we were able to grow that you know, quite a lot in numbers of people and i've worked some some fairly big companies i worked for emc uh, which became dell after a while or became dell for for a number of years and there i ran programs which smaller companies were part of and that was interesting to see that to get their perspective on our larger programs and i have a good feeling of how small companies can benefit from large company programs and also how small companies can go out and look in the market in general to find the kinds of partnerships that are best for them i've also had some experience working for systems integrators and that's always an interesting uh, case in terms of partnerships because obviously systems integrators partnerships with different um, systems to integrate is is very key for that business model and i can see it from the other side with the startups and scale-ups working with systems integrators as well. And that's what I think is very amazing is that you've been working with a variety of different types of companies, always working on alliances, partnerships. And that's really the topic of today. It's like all those principles that you've learned across the years, reuse it, uh, you know, to help smaller companies. That's what we're going to focus on. And the very first question I have for you actually is, Why should a company consider partnerships as a way to break into a new market? Yeah, it's it's a good question and I think partnerships are an absolutely super and very powerful way for smaller companies, startups and scale-ups to approach uh, other markets and to approach markets they want to enter. And the reason is with partnerships there's an opportunity to trade what you are good at and what your competencies are for the competencies of another company to to make that kind of deal and it can be so powerful you have the opportunity to make an alliance between a small company with a really differentiated innovative technology but without a lot of roots to market and make a uh, make a partnership with a company that has the opposite that has a good implementation in a foreign market has implementations has uh customers has ways to approach customers is inside the circle of trust of customers and they need what you have and you need what they have and that ability to to find those partnerships can create situations that are super powerful in terms of allowing a startup or scale up to get quickly in front of a customer to be positioned in the correct way it's you know i'd say it's not easy right that's that's the thing um it is very powerful if you get it right right but they're getting it right really depends on understanding the situation and when i say situation i mean the situation in the market you're focusing on and really specifically in the the ecosystem that your product or service is playing into how does that ecosystem work what are its players different ecosystems given different kinds of products given different services levels of maturity within the the area we're talking about can be vastly different in terms of the opportunities there that are available in terms of partnerships so it's super important really important that 
a company is able to understand and does that analysis to understand what are the opportunities within the ecosystem, what strategies essentially are available to you, and then decide what your strategy is and then go execute it. So it's it's something that takes a lot of thought and it's one that really needs to have the, the strategic discipline to do it right, because there's always a risk that you can spend a lot of time going off in a lot of directions and, and that can be a trap. So you want to be focused and know what you're trying to achieve and, and what strategy you're using. But if you get that right, I've really seen in instances over, over all these years um, of companies really benefiting from partnerships, small companies benefiting from partnerships with larger companies and getting incredible benefits. You know, I've seen I've seen startups go from practically nothing outside their home company to be country to being a worldwide force, literally, because of the partnerships they were able to uh, they were able to forge. I think we both agree here that partnerships are very strong and very powerful to go and get uh, and conquer. I would say rather uh, new markets. And perhaps let's let's break it down right into our conversation because it's not necessarily an easy topic, especially when you're very small and you want to make an impact and go, you know, like uh, find those like bigger dogs. Perhaps let's start with the strategy side that you mentioned a few times. How do you build a partnership strategy? especially as a small team that's going to tackle a new market? Is there any framework of some sort, for instance? Mm, yeah, absolutely. You've, you've really got to start, like I said, with, with that ecosystem. So you've really got to see everything around your product and service. What other products and service, what other companies are adding value to the area your value, you're adding value to? What larger solution do you form a part of? And understanding beyond that, what strategies are available to you, therefore, within the way people work within the strategic area, within the solution area in which you're working. You know, so an example, with Octopia now, we're quite fortunate in that we are working in an e-commerce marketplace area. It's a complex area that has a number of different <clears throat> products that make up a whole solution. We offer one product, one product that's very important in the middle, if you will, of that solution. But there are other subsidiary solutions or, or other solutions that need to be integrated, need to work with our product to get a full solution. That creates all kinds of opportunities for us in terms of partnerships. We can look at partnerships with the integrator communities who are going to integrate all of these different products. We can look at opportunities to form partnerships with consulting companies that are helping these customers decide what strategies they want to they want to adopt and what solution sets they want to adopt we can look at the complementary applications that we that are in our solution and who benefit from our data and we benefit from theirs and that we have a common workflow with in our case in e-commerce that can be payment systems for example so we have a number of different opportunities and the, the strategic analysis we need to do and, and we've done is to look at those options, to look at how those alliances are working now with other companies like ours and to see which ones we think will have the most chance to, to reproduce. I think it's difficult to, to reinvent the wheel. And if you look at the market you're looking to go into and you look at the value 
prop, sorry, you look at the, the value prop you have, you look at your differentiation, you look at your positioning, and you see what are other companies in that area doing? What strategies are they adopting? And therefore, what strategies can we adopt? What should we go for? And really getting that set. So I think that's the, the strategic analysis. That's really first. Then once, once you've got that down, it's, it's execution time. So then it's really a matter of going out and approaching those potential partnerships and doing that in the most efficient way you can do it. All right. And quick question on that, because you, you touched upon it. But as you said, from your example, you have different types, you have integrators, et cetera, et cetera. Like what type of partner should we prioritize? Because when you mapped it, right, which is the step one, like, What do you, you know, like, how can you know, uh, okay, this is the type of partner we should put all our focus on? Well, you, you, you brought up a really key question or really key uh, point there, all of our focus on. You don't necessarily want to put all of your focus on anything. It's, it is a portfolio. That's the way I tend to look at partnerships, right? I tend to look at partnerships are a, port, a part of a portfolio within a go-to-market strategy. So how much do you want to put on partnerships versus your perhaps marketing activity to get inbound versus perhaps your, your direct prospecting activity for sales? So how much do you want to put on the partnership side? And then within partnerships, how much do you want to put on different types of approaches? How much do you want to put on one type of partnership versus another type of partnership? And then even within that, you have a question of how many different partners are you looking to go with in order to, to spread the risk, in order to define your strategy? And all of that is somewhat of a, of a portfolio choice, you know, a bit like when you construct a financial portfolio, because it's obviously going down to a, a real small number of, of um, partners and making your strategy exclusively around those partnerships on a go-to-market side is going to perhaps have a higher risk and higher return than a strategy that's more broad-based across doing, uh, doing different activities or having different partnerships. So it's important to decide, you know, first, what strategy is available. Secondly, how you want to approach a market in terms of a, a portfolio of go-to-market opportunities and how your partnership development fits into that. And then even within your partnerships, how many you're going to try to go for, how wide you're spreading your, your business model types, right? And then within that, you know, you're certainly, depending on your situation, there are going to be strategies that are going to, to come out as more attractive than others, given what you do and how you do it. I, I can't overemphasize that too much, right? You know, the, really the differentiation you bring should be brought forward into your partner strategy. So an example of that um, can be, is there a, is there a co-development type of opportunity, right? Sometimes, you know, depending on the service or product you have, there may be an opportunity to build something with someone else, right? And if you build something with someone else, then that may give a very sticky And that may be an investment that may create a situation where you'll have an ongoing ability to work together that's really been codified because you have a co-investment. You know, if that strategy is not available to everyone because, you know, clearly some, some products and services, there's no natural attach point to any others. And if you are going to do that, it's also going to imply that you're going to spend some cycles investing in it. But, you know, that strategy may be very powerful 
if it's a strategy that's succeeded or with other uh, people in that market and a strategy to go for, right? So, you know, different strategies are, are available and um, different partners, different types of partnerships fall out of those different types of uh, types of strategies. Yeah, it's, uh, I think you touched upon like a point that's actually kind of interesting. Like there's like different types uh, and, and strategies uh, in there. I'm just trying to put myself right, like uh, in the shoes of when you're really like starting off, obviously, and there's very little time, uh, uh, very little time that perhaps you could dedicate to partners. What's your recommendation on that? Let's say like it's a one or one and a half person's job at the very early stages of opening a market. Like how much time should a person dedicate on working on those partnerships? Yeah, it's it's a good question. Again, it kind of goes back to that that portfolio strategy idea, um, and where you know how much you want to put your bets on on what part, right? What one model I like a lot. If if you're looking at opening markets, if you do have one central global resource who can be a, a partner backstopper globally, I think that works well because that can take a lot of the overhead type actions can be done centrally while the, the country manager or person out in the field then is only doing you know the part that really needs to be done by them and some of the overhead and other programmatic parts. And that can be very powerful too because people on the partnership side want to see that they're You know, the potential partners want to see that they're dealing with the center of your company, you know, rather than something on the edge and that the commitments work. And also, don't forget, as I said earlier, if you're a small you know, startup scale up, what you have that is attractive when you go to a foreign market isn't your connections in that market, isn't going to be your customer base in that market. It's going to be your innovation, your, your better mousetrap. And that's something that that comes from the center, and something you want to be, you want to make sure that you're putting forward and, and putting in, um, you know, in, in the most value. The other important thing, I think, one important thing is looking to recruit your partnerships around how you do things and the way you do things, um, and looking at the competitive dynamics of the market you're you're entering, and understanding what partnerships, what potential partners are going to be interested in your differentiation. You know, for example, uh, you might be entering a market where there's already one competitor who's, who's dominant in that market. And therefore, there might be a certain number of companies that are forming solutions with that partner, with that competitor. And you might look at what companies are outside of that, what companies maybe missed that first wave with that partner and are looking for another solution to differentiate themselves and go that way. So the country manager who's looking to add partnerships in, you know, my advice is, especially if it's very small and they only have so many cycles, they want to think about it carefully, decide what their strategy is, and then, you know, find that, that best point of leverage, that best attribute that you have that's attractive and go try to attract other partners based on that as efficiently as you can. Yeah. Finding the leverage, right? Because sometimes you are in a market that's so crowded. It's not so easy when you're like a nobody, I would say like in the, in the new country, why would a partner that's pretty well established in that specific country would want to partner with me? Because Technically, I am not going to bring any business anytime soon to him in that specific country. Yeah, but you do have the ability to bring them a better tool, right? And that that and that's that's my point. That's really what a startup scale up can play on. It's 
the what what you want to offer to your potential partners in a market is your innovation, your way of doing things, your differentiation, and to allow those partners to to profit from what you have invested in, what you have invented, what, what you have innovated, and to allow them to have differentiation. I've I've been on the other side. I've I've worked on I've worked for systems integrators, for example. And systems integrators, there's always a threat that you're going to be just selling systems integration. And if systems integration can run to commoditization, and that's the last thing you want. So as a systems integrator, you want to be differentiated and innovative solutions. And if you have mastered those solutions, if you have a competency in those solutions, then you as a systems integrator have a lot of, uh, have, have a leg up on other systems integrators. So that's what you want to be promoting when you're looking for partnerships in new markets, right? You, you obviously, it's not going to be your connections uh, or your vast customer base or other things like that. It's got to be around the way you do things and the differentiation and the, that mm-hmm. solution added value you can bring to, to their types of portfolios. Yep. Definitely a hundred percent agree with what you said. And another aspect that I wanted to touch upon today is also something that we discussed uh, earlier programs, right? Like you mentioned how programs might be very powerful tool to actually get your alliance going in new countries uh, and even like globally. So how to build partners program basically, and especially when you are a nobody in a, in a new country, like how do you do it? Do you have a few examples? Yeah, sure. I think there's Really, three different things I think around the, the word program, right? I, I do like the word program, and I think it's important. And so I'd have to <clears throat> break in a bit to, to what it means. You know, first, there's kind of an overall way of running partnerships that follows a certain programmatic path, if you will. There's a recruitment stage, there's an enablement stage, and there's an execution stage, a go-to-market stage. And yeah, keeping that framework in mind is is very important, right? Um, And they each have their own attributes. You know, the, the recruitment stage is, again, when you're first, you've decided what strategies are available to you. Then you've decided what kind of partnerships you want. Then you're trying to contact those potential partners to understand who's interested in, and how you can sell yourself to those. So there's that phase. Then there's an enablement phase. And again, it's very different depending on what kind of offer you have and how that enablement works. If you have a very simple product, there might not be a lot of enablement. If you're a very, very complex product, there might be a lot. But you have to make sure that phase happens and it happens correctly. And that, that's a tough phase because it's easy to decide we, we want to work together as a partnership. It's the next thing to have your, you know, in an example of a systems integrator, your systems integrator partner, who's going to have a number of their key people dedicate a lot of hours to learning your pro- your product. So it's an investment that you're asking them. You also, you know, can help enable them. You're going to spend time uh, to make sure they understand things right. So there's that enablement phase, and that's definitely a trust building phase as well. And then you have a go-to-market phase, and that's There's a lot of sub-programs that can be in your go-to-market. You have know, a co-marketing program. You can have a co, co-sales program, obviously. You can have a lot of different, a co-development, as I mentioned earlier. So there's a lot of different ways that that can happen programmatically. But I think also because partnerships, you can deal with scale that can be very different from very different one company to another, right? If you're a smaller company and you're looking to deal with a big company, you know, suddenly you have a lot of people in front of you. So a good way to try to put that in a, in a framework and be able to deal that, 
deal with that efficiently is to keep it in a, a programmatic steps, right? So that <clears throat> everyone ex- understands what's going to happen, expectations are set, and you know you can manage what's going to happen. But those three, the, the recruitment, the enablement, the go-to-market, and then the go-to-market bringing into um, marketing programs, lead generation programs, sales programs, whatever they are, um, are, are very important. You know, then as well, you can think of different types of sort of sub-programs of, of ways to work together in partnerships. One example I thought of um, when we were talking about this earlier is when I worked um, together with EMC Dell, we had a product that was an infrastructure product that was API driven. And we had an, I ran an API program, which meant that I was asking companies to write to our API. And when they wrote to our our API, then they could access our system. They could be compatible to our system, right? They could, they could, they could, work together as a as part of our solution. And in the end, that API program was really successful because it was able to to give a framework to a whole lot of smaller startup scale-up type of companies that wrote to our API. So they were then in the program. It was a very, you know, yes or no. Once you had done it, then you were in the program. You were you were on the boat. And that program itself, or that that was, a, I was able to extend that to some other larger companies and other larger ecosystems. It's very specifically, we ended up with a really powerful overlapping ecosystems between our company, SAP, so all of their applications, so all of the SAP application environments, uh, the Dell infrastructure, the Dell EMC infrastructure, and then a lot of smaller companies were able to join that program and benefit from that convergence. And that was a really powerful program, I found, because there were steps and there was clear expectations and it rolled out very efficiently. There's a lot of efficiencies here. I think another you know, program, that, or to lose the word program, I think we should talk about are the global programs. Because one opportunity together with partnerships are global partnerships. And I ran for, for a number of years a global partnership between smallish, medium-sized uh, company from France in, in the network monitoring spence, sense, monitoring space, sorry, and uh, a large global player um, that was present in basically every country in the world that did networking and used us as one of their one of their bricks in their overall solution and that gave us the opportunity to work with them in, in every country they worked in now that was far too much opportunity for us in potential so we really had to work out a program with them centrally of which countries we would go to really how we would address each country to see where the opportunities would be and then which steps we would follow within in order to come to the right result if we didn't do that there was always a risk that it would become very quickly unmanageable and we wouldn't be able to get the benefits but by putting that discipline in we're able to get really great benefits and that you know that play, if you will, where you have smaller companies dealing with global companies that can spread them out globally is obviously terrifically powerful um, if you can get that right. And I've seen some really fantastic advantages where people have been able to get that right. Yeah. Leveraging, for instance, like some some partnership programs with Google, you know, Facebook, et cetera, like those also can can be very powerful. But I just wanted to come back on one thing you said. When you mentioned lead generation programs, are you talking about referrals 
kind of situations, you know, where uh, people can introduce you to a potential prospect. And then depending on if we close the deal, then they get 5, 10, 15% of commission. It can be. That can be part of it. You know, then then we're starting to talk about business models. Yeah. And business models are, are, are obviously an important part of this as well, right? Part of that initial work around deciding, you know, your strategies are deciding what business models are expected and, and possible. So, you know, you may have co-sell type of thing where everyone is just getting paid from the end customer and you're working together. There may be business models where you're having, as you were alluding to, finders fees and referral fees and, and things like that, where someone brings you a, a customer and you close the customer and they get X percent of, of your deal. Uh, it may be um, reselling, right, where a partner is actually going to resell your product, in which case they're going to have ultimate responsibility for it and you're not going to have a direct contract with the customer. So yeah. that changes things. And you can go further. You can go all the way to a white label OEM type mm-hmm. product uh, type partnership where someone is going to take your product and they're going to repaint it in their colors and they're going to offer it completely as their product. And that range of, of business models is something that is really important in terms of the the options you have. And it depends a lot or it can depend a lot on which markets uh, you're going for and which markets you might consider which uh, business models for. Uh, just Paul, a quick parenthesis, could you just, uh, for the people who don't know, just precise what OEM is, please? Mm, yeah, it's it's kind of an abused term. I think it comes from the automotive industry. It stands for original equipment, original Equipment manufacturer. Yes, correct. But really, what it what it what it means is the business model where a partner ahead of you in in the value chain in the ecosystem is is taking your product and they are fully representing it as their own. So they're licen- licensing it centrally, and you are supporting them only technically. So in those cases, you don't have go to market responsibility. Yes, thank you. But you know, for for an example, I, I wanted to tell the story. Um, with uh, one again that that networking company example, there we had you know much more of a classic go to market in most countries where we had salespeople and we had our partnerships. We had a kind of a full portfolio of of different options. However, when we got to some countries and particularly China at the time was was the country that we we knew there was great potential, but it was going to be incredibly difficult for us to set up shop and sell directly you know, in terms of the, the routes to market and, and the sales forces and all that. And we did an OEM deal with a, with a partner there who took our product completely and sold it in the Chinese market. And there were other risks involved in that, clearly IP and others, but the benefits at the same time were huge because that company was very good at selling technology products into the Chinese market. And they were able to do that for us. And they took, you know, they took all the go-to-market responsibility. And therefore, in that case, you know, we did what we were really good at, engineering around our product. Okay, got it. In my experience, and so especially, you know, focusing on the U.S. markets, so like three years ago when I was working on trying to find partners as well at the beginning, we tried to focus on two things. So first, when I was working at Tukentoko, we had like a global partnership with Capgemini. So that definitely helped. This big consultancy firm has different, uh, has like good leverage. So it was great. But then I was also working on trying to get co-sale or 
referral, you know, types of partnerships. And what I found extremely difficult is that it's hard to find the the partners that are going to recommend you, that are going to walk the talk, right? I don't know, I've spoken with like countless companies, but very rarely could I actually find someone, you know, who would be willing to actually do the work past those two, three uh, meetings we would have together. Do you have any tips to find the really motivated ones? <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, it's, it's a very good point. It, it speaks to two things. One, it speaks to the risks around partnerships of wasting time, right? There, there's always a great risk with partnerships that, because as you said, those first couple of meetings are, are easy, right? Yeah. And you can have those first couple of meetings with a whole lot of partners, and then you can find you've done you know, a whole lot of work that looks great on paper, and then after six months, you find that you haven't really got anything. So how do you get down to actually getting it done? Yeah. What, if I have a tip, one of them is, I almost want to say kind of a competitive religion. You know, you really want to find a partner who's views are the same as yours. And what I mean by that is their approach to the market, their their differentiation aligns with yours. I'll give an example. Uh, I worked for, well, for an American company here in, in EMEA, and we had an approach. You know, we had an, a technical approach, right, to dealing with, we were, de- were doing um, telecoms billing systems. But we had a productized way of doing that. And the competitor in the market had a bespoke development oriented way of doing that and they were very there were two very different ways and the big differentiation i found with partners were finding those that had are that were in our our camp that wanted to work on the way we wanted to do it and were invested in that way and i found that was one way of separating out the you know the, the conversations that were nice to have to the conversations that we we're really going to get something done because we both well aligned. We're all well aligned in those partnerships on a on a sort of attack plan. We had a common enemy too. It's always good to have a common enemy if you can build one of those uh, opportunities. So you have another one. You know, another thing obviously is if you do have at least one reference customer in that country, that makes a huge difference. So you know, right now we're working on recruiting partnerships in in the Gulf area along with Octopia, mm-hmm. and we have one great reference in the area. And therefore, recruiting partners has a lot of the conversations around that reference. And I find that's also very powerful. Obviously, it makes us attractive. So we're not just nobody, but also it helps get the steps down. It helps show exactly how we want to move forward and mm-hmm. can make our conversations very concrete. So it's a lot about making things concrete, if you will. Setting Also, setting up activities where there's there's investment needed and just keep going down the paths, you know, where there's more and more skin in the game, right? I think those are ways that you can help make sure that you're not wasting time having, you know, good conversations with everyone, you know, trying to be helpful, of course, but not getting the, the results you want to get. All right. So what you mentioned, just trying to sum it up, but a few a few tips. Look for differentiation. Try to find partners who are aligned with your way of going to market or of viewing things like common vision. If you have a common enemies, obviously it's great. And one or two first references, it really helps as well to set up the conversation and make it more concrete for them to say, okay, they are really big into getting into that market in particular. 
Yeah, exactly, exactly, exactly. And and I think again, when I, when I say the way of doing things, you know, it's, it's really on on a technical solution basis. You know, uh, your your innovation. You know, you you believe this is the right way to, or this is your approach toward managing. You know, whatever it is you do, you know, e-commerce payment flows, whatever it is you do, and you want to find those companies who believe, yeah, that's the way to do it too, and are invested in that approach. So when I when I talk about aligning, it's it's really around that. It's about the way you do things. Okay. Perfect. And so that's great because it's when those conversations are starting. So this is what we should focus on. But beforehand, basically, to really start those conversations, right, uh, to to approach partners like concretely, how do you do it? Which channels are you using? Are you sending LinkedIn? Are you just cold calling people? Like, how do you get them to start those conversations or to get that first interest in you? Yeah. So there's a few things. Um, you know, one, obviously, is if you can find a connection with a, a multinational partner that you have in your own country and then spread that out, that's the, often the lowest hanging fruit, right? So, you know, you mentioned you had a global partnership with Capgemini, you know, that, that, that might be something you had in France. You were a French company, they're a French company, they're already in the States. So that kind of internal network. So one, leveraging networks that already exist. Those might be networks within other companies. Those might be networks within associations. You know, there, there's technical type associations. Um, there are, uh, you know, all kinds of networks out there. there. There's groupings of people that that work together on things. And if you can network within those associations and groupings that helps so look for pre-existing networks another big thing that i do one of my really personal favorites is using the news because when you read when someone says something in and sorry and when you read a um an article in the press and a specialized press around the area you're in and you read someone quoted then that person was quoted because they want to be you know, they want to be recognized. And I often reach out to people who are quoted in press articles around the area I'm, I'm in. You know, so now we're, we're developing e-commerce within the UK. I'm reading a lot of the specialized press within the UK on e-commerce. When people are quoted and say something, I often reach out to them because I know they're 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 interesting and I know they're interested in being contact. You know, essentially it's it's looking for seed points, right? I think shows and events can be very good for seed points as well. Um, finding initial and then networking from there. So if that's not the right person, you know, who do they know who can be? But again, you're you know you're going through a bit with your evangelical type of tone. You know, you're you're bringing the good news of your innovation and your way of doing things. And you're looking for people who align with that and want to work together with you in a partnership and, and networking through on that basis. But I think going over uh, networks that are that are pre-existing and trying to find those, finding people who are representing themselves in content and going out and reaching out to them, that's very powerful. You know, again, what what's nice about alliances in a lot of ways are they, there's a, a core of professional people who are alliance managers whose job is to evaluate. So often people are willing to have conversations. It's a lot about, as we referred to earlier, making sure those conversations are, are efficient and effective uh, within your, your whole department, your whole partner recruitment strategy. All right. So what I'm hearing essentially is that you find ways to make that first touch point warmer, right? So, but has it ever occurred to you or happened, you know, to you that you try to reach out to someone, but completely cold, right? Like you never met that person, nothing on the news, nothing, you know, from your uh, partner. Have you done it and does it work? It's hard. It's hard. I would like to have some seed point outside. Okay. I, generally, I'm, I'm not going to approach, you know, just a large SI or something uh, okay. out, out of the blue. 
right? I'm generally looking for some kind of a seed point that, that I'm going to network into. Or, or if I'm reaching out, it's to an individual within that organization who has you know, declared something. They, they, they've you know, been quoted in the press or they posted something on LinkedIn. There's something that I can grab onto. That, that's a conversation starter, right? I want to have a conversation starter. Okay. Okay. So really like your rule, I would say when you go, you know, after those like first few steps, it's to have that, that seed point and to really have this warmer touch point to make uh, the conversation flow easier at the beginning. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much, Paul. So if that's okay with you, let's move on to the last portion of our episode today, which is the oops, my bad time. Whoops, my bad. For those who tune in for the first time, Oops My Bad Time is a time where the interviewee uh, shares uh, some lessons that have been learned from past mistakes or setbacks that have occurred during country openings mission. So, Paul, do you have a few examples perhaps to share with us around those alliances uh, example that uh, could help people um, hopefully not reproduce the same uh, errors? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um I guess what I would say overall around partnerships is it's it needs a lot of diplomacy. There's a lot of diplomacy involved in partnerships because it's it's a bit like a relationship, right? You're you know you're starting a relationship with another company. Uh, it lasts a certain amount of time. You may be dealing with that company and their rivals at the same time and their competitors at the same time. So you really need to be thoughtful in terms of how you. Uh, how you act and how, how your company acts in terms of other companies. You need to be very diplomatic in that way. And I think that's something that sometimes people can can get wrong. Um, it's it's very important to think of what the other company is, you know, is trying to get out of the relationship and being sure that you have their, you know, their their interest in mind and that you're working together really is a true partnership. It's one of those like everyone always says true partnership, but you really need to to think of their interest as well in order for things to work. And um, you know, that can. So if I think of something that's gone badly, I do remember one time uh we had a case in a foreign country where we had recruited two two different partners that we were working together on was supposedly different deals. And there was some cross wires or cross communication. I had these two different groups of people show up to the same meeting in the same hotel with the same customer. And it wasn't supposed to happen like that. And they were vicious rivals. It was like, you know, the two motorcycle gangs showing up for the same, uh, the same <laughs> meet all, all, all by accident because we had crossed wires somehow, you know, and that, that kind of thing can happen. So you really got to be careful with, with the diplomacy side. It, it really matters. You got to, you got to walk the talk as well as, you know, you got to, you got to, you got to, really be unscrupulous uh, in the way you are toward partners. And, you know, and the other thing I would say just on the oops, my bad side, again, is that that portfolio side, you know, you can chase shiny objects for a long time in partnership, right? And you can spend a lot of time and get it wrong. But you can also sometimes, you know, like that China example, if you will, you, you know, you pick one horse and you really go for it and it really pays off. So that's really something to, to consider how much risk you want to be taking on, on single big partnerships versus a very broad based uh, type of strategy. <laughs> Perfect. Great examples and great uh, things to have in mind, I think, moving forward, especially shaping those partnership strategies. Paul, thank you so much for your time today. It was very insightful. And I guess I'll see you until next time then. Absolutely. Thank you very much for having me, Tiffany. My pleasure. Thank you so much for listening until the end. 
If you liked this episode, don't forget to subscribe to not miss the next one. And please share it with two people in your network. This is how this podcast gets more visibility and can help more of us to work on international markets. See you soon.